The Mike Lupica Podcast. We are back now with the great Mike Lupica. He's one of the country's Mike most Lupica prominent Mike Lupica has covered just about every sport. Candid interviews with legends he calls friends. I was talking to Jordan about Woods after the basketball game mm-hmm. the other night. Everybody wants everybody in sports to be the next this guy, the next this guy. And Michael said, no, he's the first Tiger. In your face questions. How much of a dope is he? Compelling. A billion dollar industry, the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country, often comes down to a flip of the coin. This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. Hello and thanks for joining us on the Mike Lupica Podcast. Today we'll be talking with the former communications strategist for President George W. Bush and John McCain. He currently works as a political analyst for MSNBC. He's a great Steve Schmidt. But before we get started with Steve, we'd like to tell you about our great sponsor, Gillette. Gillette has been part of my day for as long as I can remember. A truly great brand. There was never anything else or anything close. My dad used it. I use it. My sons use it. You know what you're getting each time you use it, and that's a great shave. The high-quality craftsmanship of the blade is perfect, and I'm even a big fan of the Fusion Gel Cream. Used it this morning. My friends at Gillette have great news to share that makes it an even better experience. You can now get Gillette Performance delivered right to your door. Subscribe today and get every fourth order free. Check out Gillette online at www.gilletteondemand.com. Dot com. Welcome to the Mike Lupica podcast. This is a week in American life and a time in American politics where it just seemed that I had to go back to one of the smartest people. I know my friend uh, Steve Schmidt, he man- managed um, John McCain's uh, presidential campaign. He was uh, played by Woody Harrelson in the television movie of Game Change. He is a uh, vice chairman of public affairs at a global communications and marketing firm called Edelman. He is um, an analyst at uh, MSNBC. I'm just a I'm just a lowly contributor, but Steve Steve's a big deal. Hey, Steve. Hey, Mike. Good hey, you, you know, St- Steve, we're having this conversation um, less than 24 hours after a teenager sh- shot and killed 17 people. At a Florida high school, actually not very far from where uh, I'm, right. I'm sitting eight, right now. For the 18th, 18th time this year, and it's February 15th. Yeah, 18 45 days. Um, the list is endless of school shootings since Sandy Hook. Three weeks ago, Steve, two 15-year-olds were shot dead at a high school in Kentucky. That that wasn't even big news that day because we're so numb not even to this. A, not even a blip, right? <laughs> you know, it's only two. Only two kids shot in the high school that day, so... You know, of and, course, that doesn't that doesn't make it to national news. And so now it is 17 innocent people slaughtered by automatic gunfire at a Florida high school. And, and Steve, let me start here. The, the president spoke a couple of hours ago in real time. And and there was one word that was not mentioned in the entire speech. And that was the word guns. I, w- I want to step back for a second from from guns for a for just a just for a moment and not for the purpose of of evading the gun discussion but I, but I think there's a deeper question um you know look i i have three kids uh you know 14 11 and and 5 years old and you 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 think about as a parent dropping them off at school and we live in a country now where you go to a country music concert in las vegas and you know, the casualty statistics are proximate to what the 82nd Airborne suffered on D-Day. Um, 
elementary schools, high schools, movie theaters, uh, workplaces, churches. Uh, there's no place in America uh, that's immune to this. Uh, not poor places or rich places, uh, places where mostly African Americans live or mostly white people live or you know mixed race communities. Uh, it happens everywhere. And it's going to happen again, and it, it will happen uh, within the next few days again in this country. And, and so there's a fundamental question uh, I think that we as a society have to confront, which is what type of country do we want to live in? Yep. Uh, do we want to live like this? And, you know, for my part, um, when you watch this, of course, I think you, you're numb to it. Uh, you, you obviously are saddened by it. But but I'm enraged over it. I'm enraged over it. The 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 level of rage is apparent. You know that this is what I have to raise my three children in. This cesspool of a of a society. Now the good thing about it is in this country, uh, we have the ability as people to remedy this. Yep. Um, we are sovereign. This is our government. Uh, this is not an interest group government, and this is madness. And so, of course, common sense gun legislation has to be in the discussion. And yes, the time is to talk about it is now. Um, but 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 we have to have, I think, in this country, a broad discussion on many issues, and to have people of good faith from different perspectives sit down with each other and come up with a solution to make this problem better. Because it's getting worse, and it, it is horrific. It is horrific. We're talking to Steve Schmidt on the Gillette Hotline on the Mike Lupica podcast. I have four children. Um, my sons are, uh, I have a 30-year-old, 27-year-old, 25, and a, a college freshman. And I know exactly what you meant. Steve, I, when I'm in Connecticut, we live about 32 minutes by car from where Sandy Hook Elementary once stood. And what you're talking about, I thought, it was about two days after the shooting. And I was up there every single day for a week uh, writing columns about what had happened there. And, uh, you know, I can still see all the television trucks across the street from the firehouse where the first responders had left from. But that wasn't the most dramatic thing I saw that week. It was two days later when I was out walking the dog, Steve, and I saw kids up the street from our house being dropped off from school. And I'm and I was thinking to myself that day that there are very few you know contracts that we have in our lives. You know, we trust that the pilot can fly the plane. OK, we, we trust that that guys uh, most of the time are going to stop at traffic lights when we're going through the intersection. But is Steve, is there any more fundamental contract in our lives that 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 when we drop off our kids at the bus or at school in the morning, that they will be presented to us alive at three or three thirty or four o'clock? No, it's exactly right. It's exactly right. Um, you know, I used to uh, uh, do a do a fair amount of work for GE and uh, would would uh, be up in that part of Connecticut. Um, you know, proximate to Newtown and, you know, think about that town. And, and, and my middle child is, uh, was in first grade when, when that happened. And, and, and for me at 47 years old, I look over the, the span of my life and I, even nine 11, um, 
in in it. It it that was that was the worst day of 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 my life. It was the worst news story of my lifetime. I think was that was that massacre of those little children, that act of evil. But any anybody who's been around that town understands like if it could happen there, this this could happen anywhere, anywhere in this country. And so if you send your kids to school today, they are routinely notified and the parents get notified that, hey, there's going to be an active shooter drill today. Uh, we didn't have those when I was a kid. And for sure, uh, they don't have active shooter drills in the schools in uh, Vancouver uh, or in Ottawa or in Toronto. And there's plenty of Canadians that go out on the weekends and hunt. Um, but that our schools, apparently, in order to protect children, because what we know for sure is another school shooting is coming and that common sense gun legislation is nowhere on the horizon. And I don't know what you do. Do, do school districts go out and hire retired Navy SEALs and Army Special Forces to guard the schools? What do we do in this, in this country when on any given day as a parent, you feel like you're playing some type of perverse lottery. Could it be or your Russia school? or Russian roulette or Russian roulette. Pardon, you know, pardon the pun yeah. for the, the current circumstances of American life. But it's like a game of Russian roulette. Absolutely. It is. It's a um, and, and, and beyond the issue, of the access to guns, which is clear. You know, AR-15 is a uh, semi-automatic version of uh, M-16. Uh, it's a, it's essentially a weapon of war. Um, it's a devastating weapon. Uh, it's a military weapon. It's not a hunting weapon. Um, and, and in most every instance, these are the type of weapons that are used in, in these mass shootings. Um, and there's a real lack of understanding, I think, um, with so many Democrats uh, in Congress who talk about guns, and it's obvious to any gun owner, and I am a gun owner, uh, that they've never touched a firearm in their life. And they just, they have no idea what they're talking about, right, with the classifications of the weapons. But, you know, automatic weapons in this country are illegal. You can't go out and buy a tow missile. You can't own a tank. You can't own a 50 caliber machine gun, and you cannot own an M16. So the question is, because we already outlaw categories of weapons. Is this a category of weapon that ought to be on the list of weapons that are outlawed? And what I would argue is that, of course it is, that versions of military weapons that with slight design modifications are made to fit inside of the existing law that you know, make it a civilian use weapon, um, you know, the, the, these weapons, they, they don't have any place in a society and they're being used as the tools to murder children in schools or people at country music concerts. Um, they become the weapon of choice again in AR-15 of, uh, of, of this shooter, of the Las Vegas shooter. And these weapons uh, ought not to, in my view, be legal. Uh, they ought not to be accessible, and there's really no reason, no rationale, no justification to have one. Um, you know, not for sport, not for hunting, 
um, and they ought not to be readily available, and they ought not to be readily available to people who have mental health problems. Um, but Mike, I'll also say this, that you know, once again, we're finding out that there were video, there were pictures, there were threats. I, I don't know. Does every police jurisdiction in this country have to have somebody, uh, an intelligence unit that's constantly monitoring in the community, social media, um, looking at what's public, but not necessarily poking up above the surface to try to see if the threats uh, are there, if the, the, the kid you know, who's hidden that nobody has an eye on is, is making them. Um, but I, there's just this feeling that I have that you know, every morning you drop your kid off at school and there's danger, and there shouldn't be. Talking to Steve Schmidt on the Mike Lupica podcast. And, you know, Steve, I fall back on this line all the time, and no one would dispute the fact that mental health is an issue here. Okay, no one would. However, when they say that this is only a mental health issue, and that is what the President of the United States has suggested, because he's not going to say anything that's going to piss off his friends at the NRA, I always go back to a great line from the great Pete Hamill, Steve, which is this. How many home runs did Babe Ruth hit without a bat? That's exactly right. No, I, I mean, it's a, it's a ludicrous proposition. I mean, this, this notion in the political debate. So, yes, um, we, we have to talk about uh, the mental health issue. But we also need to talk about the moment um, where the mental health issue uh, collides uh, with this individual's uh, touch physically of a weapon of war, of an AR-15 assault rifle, uh, a civilian version of that M-16 we just talked about. Um, and the notion that this is an inappropriate area or that it doesn't make sense to talk about it, it's just... You know, excuse my French, batshit crazy. It's batshit um, crazy. If you woke up today from a coma, right, that you went into 30 years ago, I, I think there are a lot of things that would leave you incredulous. But, but certainly the number of these atrocities and the inability of the country as a society to be able to have a political debate about it. I mean, in a democracy, and we see so much sickness, frankly, in our democracy, so much fraying of our institutions, but the inability to have a debate, an honest debate, in a country where on February 15th, this is the 18th school shooting this year. Yeah, 18 and 45 days. Conversation about this. Right. And one every three days, basically, on average, Steve, one every three days is absolute evidence of of a profound sickness in our republic, in our democracy. We're talking to Steve Schmidt on the Mike Lubick podcast. And and when this podcast is over today, Steve, I'm going to write a column about, you know, you know, who has been the most passionate and eloquent on this subject in the last 24 hours? The kids in that school. And I, I, and my whole point is, don't listen to the politicians crying their crocodile tears, so many of whom are in the pocket of, of the NRA. You know, don't listen to this president quoting uh, uh, scripture and not using the word gun as if, as, as if 17 people shot themselves 
to death. Listen to the Steve, listen to these kids. Go find the clips on television. And and basically these kids are saying, you gotta do something. Because here's the thing, Steve, no one would suggest, and no one in this country has written more columns about guns over the last five or six years uh, than I have. Nobody has, okay? And I have never suggested that there is, pardon the expression, one magic bullet to stop this, okay? But you can't tell me that we're not supposed to even try because that's what Washington is saying. There's no substantive legislation that could be voted on right now to stop the, the, the flow of a country lousy with guns. And Steve, you know what happened in Great Britain um, and, and after the Dunblane shooting, okay? They, they, they just changed the laws. They just changed the laws. But changing the laws won't be enough because we now live in a country where there's more guns than there are people. No, that's 100% right. And, um, you know, Mike, I, you know, I, I just, I was, I was, as you were talking there, and I was, I was listening to you, and you're using the word kid. You know, part of the tragedy of this is there are no more kids in that school. Right, um, right. Their you're childhood, right. all of them, uh, that ended yesterday. Um, they're survivors um, of this brutal attack that ended their childhoods. Um, for sure. It's the stripping of innocence, the notion, the idea of safety. And I think that when you when you think about these issues and other issues, again, it comes back to the predicate question, which is what type of country do we want to live in? And when you look at changes that have occurred in this country, um, and it will be 25 years from now, It'll be remarkable to our kids and grandkids that there were that there was a day when gay people couldn't get married to the person that they love Um, in the same way that um, it's unimaginable to those kids that there was a time where black people couldn't eat at the lunch counter or had to move to the back of the bus. Um, The evil of segregation or slavery, Um, there will be a moment in time uh, when we look back on this period of, of madness. Um, with these shootings um, through, from the prism of when we fixed the problem, not understanding uh, the inaction of our leaders, our politicians, our corrupted politics to fix, which is so evidently a national emergency um, that ties us all together. And the application of common sense here um, to solve What's clearly a, a, that that nobody in their right mind in this country could conceivably want, right? To to live in a country uh, where every other day we get kids being gunned down in schools. What are we going to do about it? And and the great thing about this country is that we have the power to change it. And so I do think that when you consider these issues, I think that anger. Um, properly harnessed can be a powerful force. And I think that for the American people in consideration of this issue, there should be a righteous anger uh, that is, that is building and ready to burst to demand, to demand that the leadership of this country take action to protect the American people and absent 
the leadership of the country taking action. Maybe we need to get new leaders. Yes. In a position Steve, across the country. Steve, 100 percent. You know what I'm thinking? And this is the other thing I'm going to write today. Literally, as soon as we finish having this conversation, it's this. Those survivors who are no longer children, whose childhood ended. You know what I want them to be? Survivors slash voters. OK, I want them to be at the forefront of a movement that's going to change the people who are not even willing to try to try to get more gun sanity in this country. I, you know, you and I have talked about this before. You know who was one of the survivors of the Dunblane shooting in Scotland? Andy Murray, the tennis star. He and his brother were at that school that day, okay? And and uh, however many people died, they could have been two more who were ca- casualties that, that day. And and imagine, just imagine if Adam Lanza had not had a fast-killing gun that day. What, could we have saved five kids? How, much, how, how valuable are those five lives? Could we have saved half of the children who were shot that day at Sandy Hook? Oh, no, this, the, the mental health issue. In this country is not about the people holding the guns. It's about the people who don't want to do anything about guns. It's it's we have a violence epidemic in the country. Um, we have a we have acute mental health uh, um, issues, uh, a lack of access to to care uh, and access to, to weapons. Um, the prevalence in in all of these cases of again social media um where they're posting the threat it's known it's seen um and of course you know the 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 numbing repetition of the coverage and knowing knowing for sure for sure that you know sometime in the in the next weeks we're going to see the breaking news chirons again and we're going to see all the experts again, and we'll see scores of more dead kids at the next school that this happens at. Um, this is a this is a profound crisis um, in the in the country at a at a societal level, at a culture level. Uh, there's a sickness in the land, but there's also a profound crisis in the republic and the democracy that. Our politics has become so broken that we lack the ability not just to fix the problem, but even to have a straight on conversation about it. And, and that's an immense tragedy also. We're talking with my pal Steve Schmidt on the Mike Lupica podcast. More with Steve in a minute. But first, this from Geico. When shopping for car insurance, consider this. Geico has been saving people money on car insurance for over 75 years. So if you're serious about savings, it's simple. Go to Geico.com. After 75 years, they know how to save you money. Talking to Steve uh, Schmidt on the Mike Lubica podcast. Steve is uh, joining us on the Gillette hotline. And, and Steve, this obsession that Donald Trump has with the southern border, okay? I was thinking this, and I think this every time there's a new shooting. What would his reaction have been if the shooter had been an illegal immigrant? Well, you know exactly what it what it would be, um, you know, or if the person was a Muslim uh, born here or born uh, born abroad. And, um, you know, the, the reality is, um, you know, if you're shot in a school, if you're killed, doesn't matter who's doing the killing, I suppose. And our inability 
to look at this issue holistically um, to say, what is the danger presented to the society when you such have, have such ease and access to weapons of war? And anybody could get their hands on one. And the inability to have that conversation is just, you know, it, it's just, it's just a dreadful fact of our life. But, you know, again, Mike, people don't have to stand for it. No, we have to vote people, people who refuse to even have the Steve, people who even refuse to have the conversation that you're talking about have to be voted out of office. And again, I want this generation of kids who now feel unsafe going to school in the morning to remember that the first time they have reached the legal age to vote in this country, because Forget about all we've heard about millennials, okay? We'll have to come up with a... We'll ha- Steve, we'll, you and I will figure out a new way to describe kids who are growing up in the generation of active shooters, okay? Because you talk about the drills. I actually mentioned this in a column today. It, just having drills, it, it might not be enough. I remember as a kid, you know, when, when, when we used to have air raid drills because Khrushchev was going to drop the big one on us, okay? The big one that never came. But there have to be courses taught in schools about active shooters and signs to look for, because it may be the difference someday between life and death. And this idea that a border wall, don't you love the idea that if we could just build a wall between us and Mexico, that that neither you nor I will even have to lock our doors at night, Steve, we'll be that safe. Yeah, the debate, uh, once again, is so profoundly stupid. It makes you just want to bang your head into a wall. Um, You know, the reality is there's zero net illegal immigration coming across the southern border into the United States. And that when we give consideration to our failing schools, our crumbling infrastructure, all of the things that we need to do in this country, um, you know, with the possible exception of the $50 billion a year we spend federally on the war on pot, I, I can't conceive of another more stupid expenditure than, you know, building a brick and mortar wall on the, <laughs> on the southern border. And, you know, you're talking to somebody here on the phone who believes in border security that, you know, you have to have a border um, and you have to have a border because you're a sovereign country. And you have to know who's in the country. But you want to do something about illegal immigration. Uh, you start with the airports uh, because that's where. Uh, the arrival point is for the 40 percent of the illegal immigrant population in the country who becomes illegal immigrants on the basis of their overstaying their visas. And, you know, that's where the problem is. So it's just it's just dumb. And we just have a lot of dumb debates in this country about a lot of things. And, you know, the reality is, is we have a lot of serious problems um, to, to deal with as a as a country. Um, you know, the charge of each generation of Americans, it's always been the case until now, um, is that whatever was going on in the society is that everybody just kind of intuitively understood that they were obligated culturally to pass on to the next generation a stronger country, uh, a freer country, um, to do the things that were necessary so that their kids could have a better life. And so... I think for any parent in the country, you know, uh, you know, who's our age, you know, for me, again, at 47, you know, I, I was aware that there was a generation before me that hid under their desks in school to prepare for a nuclear bomb attack. And it just seemed so quaint, so absurd. 
But now as a parent, a generation where kids, a couple times, they don't have fire drills. They have active shooter drills. Again, this is the country we want to live in. And there is a level. That's the the fundamental question that that we have to start grappling with um, in our in our politics. And we also have to deal with um, um, my friend uh, Paul Westfall used to coach the Phoenix Suns and he called one of his players in one day and he says, you know, if you if you don't start um, improving your effort, I'm going to have to go to the media and tell them about your stomach problem. And the guy says, well, I don't have a stomach problem coach and and uh, Westfall said yeah you do no guts okay now this is what Steve Mnuchin said at a House Ways and Means Committee hearing according to the Washington Post today I will say personally I think the gun violence it's a tragedy that we've seen yesterday and I urge Congress to look at these issues Mnuchin said at the Ways and Means okay and and everybody was saying oh god this is the first senior official within the Trump administration to call for a congressional review da 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 at the dead run, a Treasury spokesman clarified Mnuchin's remarks to say he was not suggesting Congress consider new gun control laws. Because, Steve, when you watch Trump today, I, I, I kept thinking, to whom is he addressing these comments? Is he unable to give a speech that doesn't play to his base? Okay, but there he was quoting scripture because you know what a God loving man he is, Steve. And 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 even the suggestion from his Treasury secretary that maybe Congress could get off of their respective asses. That wasn't even allowed. So let's let's say there's a circumstance, Mike, that at the end of the day, right, a piece of legislation was was coming through the Congress on um on guns yep um and at the end of the day you and i might disagree on it and i may be against it what i'm struck by though is the notion of consideration what do you mean we shouldn't be considering some gun control legislation obviously um consideration uh, my understanding of the definition of the word um is exactly what we should be doing right now what do you mean after the 18th shooting in the first 45 days of the year in a school in America and other mass shootings that take place every day, 24 hours after 17 young people are killed in their school. What do you mean we shouldn't consider it? Of course we should be considering it. We should be considering a lot of things. We should be talking about a lot of things. I mean, that's what happens in a healthy republic, in a healthy democracy, where the people are sovereign. I mean, the whole, the whole construct, the whole concept is craziness that we shouldn't be considering it. Of course we should be considering it. And already this president, Steve, I'm looking at Twitter as I'm talking to you. He's moved back to immigration now. The, the, you know, it's the old one, but the dogs bark and the caravan moves on. So at, at 1130 today or whatever the hell time it was in the East, he's, he's talking about how we have to come together and heal. And now he's back beating the drums on immigration in this continuing effort, by the way, to divide this country over immigration the way we're already divided over race. You know, Mike, I'm, I'm sitting watching the, the screen here on MSNBC, and I'm watching the sheriff on the, on the left-hand side of the screen talk, and I'm watching uh, images on the right of the kids with their hands over their heads running down the sidewalk right. by the hundreds out of the school, uh, away from the danger um, with uh, uh, police officers and um, uh, uh, battle dress, 
with with assault rifles as they're as they're running out of the school. And I'm reminded, I, I kind of have a trace memory of this. But you remember, and, I, and I'm sure you do. Um, there was an experiment. I remember with Howard Cosell. A lot of controversy around the late great Howard Cosell and you know the talking on the Monday Night Football. And I kind of remember that there was this broadcast once where they didn't do any commentary on the football game. They just played the game. And there oh, was it was Michael Wiseman. Time. No, Steve, you remember right? Michael Wiseman, who briefly was the executive in charge of Morning Joe, the great Michael Wiseman. That was his idea. That was his baby. Oh yeah, I absolutely right. remember it. I had, I had, I, you know, and I have, and I remember when that happened and I don't know why it just popped into my head, but as I'm watching TV, you know, we don't need any commentary right now. There, there's really nothing that can be said that's new. You could just play these images, um, almost on an infinite loop. Um, and maybe seeing them without the commentary, without the noise around it would have, some type of different impact on people, but it's just so jarring to me to sit here and watch as I'm talking to you. And I don't have the sound on the TV, obviously of kids, 14, 15, walking out by the hundreds, running down the sidewalk with their hands in the air. Um, Just an extraordinary image um, of our times. Um, And it's, it's shattering. It's horrific. It's sad, and the epic failure of the political leadership in the country, their timidity, their cowardice, uh, their fear of uh, special interest groups, um, to not agree on what the outcome of a debate should be, but even to have the debate, even to have the first minute of a conversation about it, honestly, just despicable. And, and even, you know, even someone I admire and respect and am rooting for to beat cancer. Steve, even John McCain has taken a fortune from the NRA across his career. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, too, when you think about the NRA, you know, my, my relationship, um, you know, in, in my lifetime to the NRA is that w- when I was younger, I, it, was, it was very much right. It was a it was a hunter's right organization. Right. It was a gun right. safety organization. Um, it wasn't a paramilitary fetishist organization. You know, the, the, the iconic weapon, you know, for the NRA was a musket, right? It was, if you thought about guns, you know, it was a bolt action 22. Um, it wasn't a weapon of war modified for civilian use. Um, and you, you think about, you know, the idea that in this country, and again, going back to what we talked about at the beginning, there are all manner of categories of weapons in the country that are illegal, right? And the inability to even have the first second of a debate about should there be other categories of weapons that are illegal, or what is the process from a rigor perspective that we want to put someone through before they get their hands on one of these weapons, um, and I'm not arguing that they shouldn't be able to get a weapon at the end of the day. I'm just saying that we ought to have a debate about that process. We ought to have an honest discussion about it and, and the inability to have one um, because this interest group chokes it off and the politicians are so cowed by it. Uh, it's just, it's just um, 
It's just terrible. And, uh, you know, Paul Ryan saying, and I think as policymakers, we have to wait to get all the data before we can start to have a discussion about what we're seeing here. I mean, how crazy is that? What more does he need to say? Talking to Steve and he's Smith. a father. And that's what's so outrageous about it. Uh, how any parent cannot filter their opinions about guns in this country through that prism is amazing. We're talking to Steve Schmidt on the Mike Lubica podcast. He's on the Gillette hotline. Now let's let's switch subjects for a minute. I was saying I wrote the other day and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on it. And I always make it clear when I'm talking about John Kelly, Steve, that I'm not talking about John Kelly, the Marine. I'm not talking about John Kelly, the man who so honorably served his country. I'm not talking about the father of of a of a son who died serving his country because of a landmine in Afghanistan. But is this the last time we're going to act as if generals in the military are equivalencies to sainthood after the way he handled himself and nearly corkscrewed himself into the ground on the Rob Porter thing? No, absolutely. Listen, politics is a tough business, and you serve as chief of staff to the president of the United States or president, or you work in the West Wing of a White House, you're going to be... Um, under the critical eye of the American people um, for whom you work. And uh, he's done, done, a, done a terrible job as chief of staff. This West Wing is um, abjectly incompetent. It's reckless. Um, we have people uh, ranging from wife beaters to God knows what else uh, with access to the nation's most closely guarded secrets. Um, we see, again, of course, uh, utter dishonesty from the White House accounting for what happened, including General Kelly, um, who is lying to the American people through his teeth about what he knew and when he knew it. And we can talk about that for a minute. Um, and lastly, um, as in a better of casual cruelty, um, whether it's a gold star parent um, or the credibly accusing uh, child Hood sex victim of a Roy Moore or these women uh, who were beaten uh, by their husband. And he deserves the criticism. Uh, he deserves the condemnation. And frankly, he deserves the contempt of the American people who care about this country, who love this country, and who are seeing every day the office of the President of the United States defiled, the institutions that are important to the functioning of our country degraded, uh, the rule of law and important institutions that sustain it in this country assaulted. Um, and so, yes, uh, General Kelly, um, we should honor his service for 40 years in uniform, but by no means is that service a prophylactic uh, for his <laughs> unbecoming conduct. Yeah working in politics at the highest levels in the United States. Steve, who would take that job if, if Kelly gets banged here? Who, would, who at this point would take that job? I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, you know, you would, you would suspect that it's somebody already in that firmament. Um, it's difficult to see um, who in their right mind uh, from the outside would, would come in because um, – Truth of the matter is, when you look at General Kelly's reputation, what it was a year ago and what it is today is to understand that Trumpism isn't just toxic. Um, it's contagious. 
and it splatters and it rubs off on you and you never will recover from it reputationally. Steve, what's going to happen in the midterms, do you believe? In the, in the midterm elections, there's going to be, I believe, a massive repudiation of Trumpism. And I think that there will be a blue wave that comes across the country. We're seeing indications of that in all of these special elections and in the off-year elections in, in 2017. Structurally, if you look at elections over the last 118 years, there's only been three occasions where the incumbent president's party has picked up seats in that first midterm election. Uh, It was 1902, 1934, and 2002. And this isn't going to be one of those years. Now, I don't think that this is a vote for Democrats. I think this is a vote of repudiation. And the voting bloc that will come together is going to be 100% of the Democratic Party, which is intense. Uh, We're going to see surging turnout with millennials, with African-Americans, with Hispanics, with women. Um, Independence will break uh, against Trump. And you'll see 18 to 20% of the Republican Party voters, not politicians, but voters who are completely against Trump and Trumpism. Um, They'll be led by suburban, college-educated women. When you look at the electoral map in the midterms, uh, you see these suburban districts. Uh, The Republicans have a 24-seat majority. 23 of those seats are in districts where uh, Hillary Clinton won, beat Donald Trump. And so you're going to see that coalition come together, particularly in suburban areas. It's going to have a devastating impact not just in the congressional majorities, but also at state legislative races. And those state legislative victories are going to have an enormous impact as states redraw and uh, rewrite the congressional and state legislative lines in the 2022 cycle. It is February of 2018. And let's pick a, let's say in the fall of 2018, Will Rod Rosenstein still be the deputy attorney general and will Robert Mueller still be special counsel? I think that question is impossible to answer, Mike. But I I do think when you look at the ferocity of the attacks on the FBI, on the FBI director, and again, not to overuse the analogy, but if you had woken up from a coma, (laughs) Um, that you went into seven months ago. And when you wake up, you see the whole of the Republican Party engaged in fantastical conspiracy theories and assaulting the FBI. I suspect you would wake up and you'd say, what the hell happened? (laughs) How is this possible? What's going on? The... Fox News in the evening on a a nightly basis. You're hearing calls for people to be locked up for senior leadership in the intelligence community and the Justice Department to be jailed. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen, but but I do know that we're in the early hours of a new stage of all of this and 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 we're heading towards a crisis um and uh, and it's a crisis 
in, in our uh, it's a it's a constitutional crisis. It's about the separation of powers. It's about the idea that the president is not above the law. And we're going to see it play out in dramatic fashion over over the next years. And our institutions uh, are going to get a good shake. Um, and I worry that a lot of them are more fragile than I previously thought they were. Um, but this is going to be a dramatic year in the history of this country, I suspect, um, as we watch all of this play out. And the reality is, if you go back to the beginning of this year and you just have an itemized list of all the crazy stuff that's happened that's come out of this West Wing, I mean, I just don't fall in the camp that believes you can have this level of incompetence and recklessness and malfeasance and imbecility and idiocy without there being a profoundly bad result. And, and, and I continue to believe that there's a real lack of imagination in the American mind for the magnitude of the crisis and the cost of that crisis that a president as incompetent as Trump could cause. Steve, I, I was talking to somebody in politics yesterday and, and saying that, that Trump is pretty much who and what we thought he was going to be. But what do you know now about this country? What did you learn about this country from the fact that 65 freaking million people voted for this man? Well, I'm going to. So. I, I think that when you when you think about the country, we all think about the charter, right? The, the, the animating ideal of the country, which is probably the most perfect expression ever put to paper by the mind of man, which is this idea that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that idea gave birth to a nation. And it's a perfect expression of human dignity and freedom and liberty. But it's also at variance with the American reality, which when we formed our government through the Constitution, counted African-Americans as three-fifths a person. And the story of America has been the tension between that high ideal and reality. And the great drama of the American story has been the fight to close that gap. And it's a story of great courage and great sacrifice and bloodshed. For example, during the American Civil War, um, always moving more closely to that ideal. And that's the work, too, of this time and this generation. And what's always been the case in America is that the side that is holding the line in opposition to that high ideal, to that advancement of freedom, they've never won. There has always been a George Wallace, right? There will always be people that 
are animated by the spirit of segregation and George Wallace and injustice and nativism. When you go to the Washington Monument, you'll see a line that marks a discoloration in the marble. And the reality is that the construction of the Washington Monument was stopped for decades because of the donation of marble from the Pope and the know-nothings, the nativists of the 1840s would not permit Washington to be honored in marble donated from Catholics. Anti-German, anti-Irish, anti-Catholic, anti-immigrant. The nativists have always been here. The racists will always be with us. But they have always been defeated. They've always been confronted. They've never been ascendant. And what marks a departure with the ascendancy to political power of Donald Trump is for the first time in the history of the country, those forces um, that have stood against our moving to our highest ideal have seized political power in the country. And so it doesn't surprise me that people voted for Donald Trump um, because it's a binary choice. And there were two very flawed candidates. But when we look at Trump's presidency and what it stands for in the division, in the anger, in the casualty, casual cruelty, in the meanness, and the sense of American decline, less respected, the country has always chosen the better path. It's always chosen politically to head towards the light. And that's the choice we didn't take in 2016. But now the question becomes, in 2018, in its first massive nationwide electoral test, will the American people validate this or repudiate it? I got a lot of money on the table that says they're going to repudiate it. And then in 2020, we have a more fundamental question. And that's the question that only a presidential campaign can answer. And that's about the direction of the country. And it may well be that the choice that's offered between the Republican and the Democratic nominees is not a sufficient one. And maybe we need to have a third choice. Maybe we need an independent candidate in the mix. Regardless, though, that's the opportunity for the American people to say it can be better than this. We don't want to live in a country where kids are being gunned down or 650 casualties at a country music concert or massive opioid epidemic, country where 44% of the American people don't have $400 of disposable income for an emergency, where there's no longer an ability to have equal access to opportunity, where 50% of black and Latino kids in Los Angeles don't get to a high school diploma. We don't have to stand for any of it. And, and so that's the ultimate question, Mike, that, that I think winds up being settled politically in 18 to 20 as we look ahead. And, and, and also gives an opportunity, um, you know, to answer a fundamental question about Trump, which is, was this an aberration? Or is this who we are? And if it's who we are, then it's very different than from who we used to be. All right, last question for my friend uh, Steve Schmidt. If if you could could construct a dream candidate 
for the Democratic Party for 2020, describe that candidate to me. You know, the candidate has to have um, qualities and virtues that are oppositional to Donald Trump. Um, ideally, it'd be somebody who had spent time and had been very successful in the private sector, but ran a virtuous company, um, a virtuous enterprise oppositional uh, to the scam Trump University and the shambolic Trump or- organization, for <laughs> right. example. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it has to be a person who has the capacity to have love and empathy in their heart for the Trump voter. For the person who feels that they've been left behind and are unseen in the flyover parts of the country that have been hurt uh, by globalization and the technological revolution. And to view them is as much and as important a part of the fabric of the country uh, as anybody else. It has to be a person who I think is a uniter um, that can inhabit the spirit of Abraham Lincoln in the way that Donald Trump seems to inhabit the spirit of George Wallace. We need a repairer of the breach. Uh, somebody who, in Lincoln's words, appeals to the better angels of our nature. Um, somebody who can remind the American people that we are all in it together. We are all connected to each other. We have a responsibility to each other, to our uh, communities, to our families, uh, to our nation. Um, And then lastly, somebody who can animate once again a a feeling um, and an idea of national purpose. What is the work of our time? What is our mission? What are we building? What are we doing? Uh, How are we making life better uh, for our children and our grandchildren? How are we making our union more perfect and more just and closer to that exceptional ideal that was articulated in the charter document of our country, the Declaration of Independence, that we talked about a few minutes ago? Thank you for doing this today, man. It's 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 always a tutorial uh, uh, that is ultimately about our best selves. Except you're not your best self today because you're sick. So I am I'm doubly grateful that you, that I that I put this much of a strain on your voice when I'm not making you any money whatsoever. Well, I I feel badly that your audience is going to have to listen to someone with a head cold and as congested as I am talk for so long but it's always a pleasure to be with you i enjoy it happy to do it anytime you'll have me steve you come back anytime it is always great to talk to you thank you my friend again folks this is the kind of conversation we have all the time it was an important conversation today i did not know what steve was going to say but i knew it would be really smart about guns especially please download that the the numbers keep growing with this podcast we picked up gillette as a sponsor subscribe to it go to the reader's comments if you get mad at me or schmidt leave a comment And we'll talk to you next week, everybody. The Mike Lupica podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Networks in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform.